Tales of the Emperor of Man, The Last Church and the Void Dragon In the dwindling light of the 30th millennium, terror, a scarred hellscape once lorded over by rapacious techno-barbarian warlords and fervent prophets of old, was inexorably bending to the will of one being, the Emperor of Man. He marched with a singular purpose, to forge a singular dominion, his envisioned Imperium of Man. The tumultuous crescendo of the Unification Wars waned, and as it did, the staunchest citadels of zealous faith and indomitable war bands began to waver, then crumble, against his relentless onslaught. For a century, Terra's soil drank deep from the rivers of blood spilled, each drop a testament to the Emperor's dream and sacrifice. The vaunted Thunder Warriors, his very first gene-forged children, left swathes of desolation in their wake. Many were crushed beneath their might, but from the ashes, legends arose. Prominent amongst these tales was that of the final cleric of Terra's final sacred ground, the last priest of the last church. Yet for all his martial wrath, the emperor was neither a heartless tyrant nor devoid of introspection. The annals of this era are scarce, and even more rare are the echoes of the Emperor's own voice and heart. This tale stands as a beacon amongst them, recounting when the Master of Mankind turned his gaze upon the solitary sanctuary that had somehow remained impervious to his secular decree. On that fateful eve, the bells tolled one final dirge, their somber notes heralding the twilight of Terra's spiritual age and ushering in an era of galactic destiny. Solitary in the hallowed shadows, the last priest of terror stood, his gaze lifting hopefully, longingly, towards the mountain path that led to his church's gate. He yearned for the familiar faces of his dwindling flock, but the world had changed, and no soul approached, except one man, Lightning raged, throwing stark shadows against the old church's stained glass windows. Torrential rain played a dirge upon its ancient timbers, each droplet a lament for forgotten ages. The heavy oaken pews bore their age with quiet dignity, whispering of sermons long past. The bells tolled, haunting and lonely, summoning the faithful to the midnight mass. Yet the chill of that night held them away, its bite deeper than just the bone. It was the cold of change, of finality. Uriah, the church's stalwart guardian for more years than he could recall, felt it in his marrow. A lifetime ago, he had stood against the Colossi, warriors gleaming with armor, reflecting the cold luminescence of a dying day, wielding blades that crackled with imprisoned lightning. The memory was painted in blood and fear. The clash wasn't just a battle, it was a slaughter. A sonorous thud shattered his reverie, the sound echoing through the church's hallowed chambers. The ancient doors groaned in protest, yielding to the silhouette of a hooded stranger. The man stepped in, 
shutting the doors behind with a gravitas that spoke of intent and reverence. There's a haze in the tales of how Uriah sensed the foreboding that night. Was it the stranger's military poise, or an intrinsic knowledge that the winds of fate were shifting? One truth held firm. This man hadn't come for prayer. Though nondescript at first glance, the stranger bore the weathered tan of a soldier who had faced countless suns and storms. His ebony hair, pulled taut in a warrior's scalp lock, hinted at a life of discipline. Each gesture, every step was calculated, laden with intent. The church was an austere sanctuary, its time-worn pews upholding the carcass of a bygone era. At its heart rested a clock, a masterpiece of craftsmanship, silent and unmoving for an age. It mirrored the fate of the church itself, an entity out of time. The moment it would tick once more, it would herald not merely the dawn, but an epoch where faith would find no sanctuary. For Uriah, the clock's chime was a harbinger of apocalypse, a warning whispered by the man from whom he'd taken it. Perched upon a rugged plateau, the church held dominion over a mountain that defied casual ascent. This isolation was its shield, protecting it from the relentless march of secular rationalism. The figure moved with deliberate steps down the aisle, fingertips grazing each pew in contemplation, or perhaps respect. The weight of potential violence clung to him, a storm waiting to break. Uriah felt his pulse quicken, but not out of fear. It was a profound recognition of the man's power, tempered by an inexplicable assurance of no harm intended. Identifying himself as the last custodian of the Lightning Church, Uriah received a curt nod. He was not here for the midnight sermon. The stranger dismissed the importance of his own name, suggesting revelation would suffice for the night's discourse. It was not a name, but a statement of intent. He was here to engage with the last priest, to understand the root of Uriah's resistance to the impending obliteration of faith. Dominating the sanctum was a sprawling fresco by an artist remembered only through her precious few remaining endeavors. This one in particular was a testament to devotion. When the fresco unfurled its tale, the old text had claimed, all of creation held its breath in reverence. Uriah believed it. For once, the flamboyant author of these ancient texts, with his flair for the grandiose, had vastly undersold the magnificence before them. In this, both the priest and Revelation agreed. To the priest, however, the beauty and majesty of the fresco could only be explained by divine inspiration. This work does not prove the existence of God, muttered Revelation spitefully. Such words would be considered blasphemy in an earlier age, the priest mocked. Blasphemy, Revelation said with a raised smile, is a victimless crime. The sparring continued, as Revelation noted many an art had been created by godless people throughout the ages. To Revelation, this piece was created by a genius who had to make a living, and the churches of her time were obscenely wealthy. Had she painted for a godless people, he pointed out, for a palace ceiling, would it not be equally beautiful? The clergyman shifted uneasily, sensing the undercurrents of an unsettling discourse. He tried to extricate himself, 
murmuring about preparations for his impending sermon, but the stranger's voice anchored him. No one is coming, it is just you and I. He paused before revealing the truth the priest had known deep within his bones. This is the last church of terror, and I want a memory of it before it's gone. His words carried an undertone, not of a threat, but of a certainty. The two found themselves seated at an opulent mahogany desk, its surface ensnared by sculpted serpents, ancient symbols of knowledge. Their glasses clinked, crimson wine within, repeating an ancient ritual from churches now turned to dust, the wine representing the lifeblood of a deity figure who sacrificed himself so that humanity may be saved. Was salvation to be found in science and knowledge, or was this a foreshadowing of one belief yielding to another sacrificed being? Faith, as you see it, is a beacon, Revelation postulated. I see it as a blade. History is awash with the blood of countless spilled in its name. The priest ruffled, retorted with anger. Have you trespassed here merely to scorn? Revelation shook his head and replied mournfully, No, I sought understanding, not confrontation, he replied, his voice softening. They continued their dance of words, the priest offering tales of the lightning stone's miraculous essence, while the stranger wove narratives grounded in reason. But as the priest's defenses bristled, the stranger mused, Our senses craft, but a rendition of reality. Shadows and sounds, twisted by primal fears into lurking menaces. Such interpretations have kept our kind alive, haven't they? In a voice trembling with the weight of half a century, the priest spoke of an encounter from his youth. A moment when the veil between the mortal and the divine had grown thin on the blood-soaked grounds of Gaduare. Revelation replied slowly, voice dripping with gravitas, Gaduare. The simple utterance held a question and a statement, and the priest found himself unnerved. In those darker days before the emperor rose to unite the fractured world, humanity teetered on the precipice of annihilation. Tyrants waged war, their ambition threatening to snuff out the very flame of humanity within a century. The priest had mused, if it might have been a mercy to let that fire die out. He recounted the throes of his reckless youth, the indulgent nights, the burning fires of rebellion in his heart. Across terror, he sought a cause, any cause, against the nascent emperor. Until fate, in the guise of a charismatic revolutionary, handed him one. They were 5,000, armed in haste, marching against the relentless might of the Thunder Warriors. But their resolve shattered before the juggernaut. Like overripe fruit crushed under a boot, men fell. The cacophony of mechanized blades and the triumphant roars of the Thunder Warriors painted a scene of abject horror. There was no mercy. They were torn apart, a parade of mechanical savagery, and amid that inferno of violence, the priest fled. Wounded, despairing, he staggered until his strength failed, and then crawled, driven only by the instinct to survive until the darkness claimed him. From that abyss he beheld a vision, 
a face radiant in gold, so perfect that tears carved paths through the grime on his face. It was a beauty beyond comprehension, a beacon in that midnight hour. And when it spoke, its words were the chains that bound his future. Why do you deny me? Embrace me, for I am both truth and salvation. Pushing back against the stranger's skepticism, the priest declared with fervor, I gazed upon the countenance of the divine. It was he who spared me, anointing me with purpose, to serve and to worship. They sparred once again in the theater of discourse. The enigmatic figure painted a bleak tapestry of humanity's dance with the divine, where faith often transformed into a weapon of blood, torment, and willful blindness, morphing as the whims of its interpreters dictated, concrete when power beckoned, fluid when it threatened to crumble. The priest countered, accusing the mysterious guest of tunnel vision, of sifting through centuries to seize only the grisliest spectacles. You merge the darkest anomalies with the mundane, projecting shadows where light once prevailed, he retorted. With an air of melancholy, the stranger recounted a tale from recent history, a chapter drenched in the scarlet ink of Cardinal Tang's reign, a mad zealot who, not three decades past, launched a fanatical crusade against the pillars of reason, throwing civilizations backward, setting flame to those who dared defy the sanctified ignorance of their faith. Religion, at its worst, cleaves humanity apart, he whispered. Uriah, voice thick with emotion, responded, your narrative dwells on the crimson tide of conflict, neglecting the nourishing rivers of solace and unity faith has provided. He leaned closer, eyes intense. Should you rip God from our hearts, with what shall you fill the void? What becomes of a soul left barren? The priest's cautionary word seemed an augury, presaging a storm, the likes of which history had never known. Revelation stood up fully, his voice booming, roaring as he shouted, Enough of this charade! The air crackled, the very fabric of reality seeming to waver. From the pulsating luminescence, a titanic figure emerged. Cloaked in intricate gold armor that sang tales of majesty and might, every inch adorned with symbols of eagles and lightning bolts. It was a vision of unparalleled regality, muscled perfection. Tears welled in Uriah's eyes. This visage, this hauntingly sublime face, he had glimpsed amidst the chaos of battle. Recoiling, a realization surged through him. He replied, terrified, You! You are the Emperor! There was a pause, followed by the simplest of nods, as he spoke quietly, I am, and it is time we departed. But for Uriah, in this godforsaken epoch, there was no sanctuary left. The Emperor's touch was gentle, a balm for the ravages of time. The aches that had held Uriah captive for decades dissipated, fading like morning mist before the sun. The dim hues of the church exploded into brilliance, as if the very cosmos were refracted through its stained glass.
Every detail was imbued with new life under the Emperor's luminance. Uriah was drawn forward by that very same force, memories flashing before him, a mosaic of devotion and compassion. He remembered the smiles, the blessings, the solace he had given. The stark truth he had confronted in this day were shadowed by a realization. Faith doesn't need proof. It is its own testament. The vast doors groaned as they were thrust open, revealing a stormy tableau. Rain lashed, winds howled, and nature seemed to mourn. Uriah felt an icy grip clutch his soul as he cast a final, longing gaze at his sanctuary. Before him, the Emperor's legions stood in silent judgment, their familiar armors thudded in unison, torches ablaze. A reminder of battles past, his plea was silenced by the roaring inferno that consumed his holy sanctum. Tears, indistinguishable from the rain, streamed down Uriah's cheeks. The last church of terror roared and crackled with the blaze of an all-consuming fire. Raising his eyes to meet the Emperor's, Uriah's voice, heavy with grief, warned. Do you comprehend the void left in the wake of faith extinguished? The Emperor spoke of his grand dream. An empire free from the chains of religion, unified in singular purpose. Uriah countered, his words laced with irony. Not long ago, you spoke of tyrants on divine quests, trampling all in their path. How is your vision any different? The Emperor's response was resolute. The difference, Uriah, is that I am right. Uriah scoffed. The words of every autocrat. You've missed the essence, the Emperor replied. I have seen the narrow path of salvation. This is the way it must begin. The last priest of a dying church retorted, You do not understand. When you starve the soul, it hungers. Beware, becoming the demon you seek to banish. With steely resolve, Uriah turned, facing the inferno once more. The blazing remnants of his life's work beckoned him as he approached the roaring flames, the once stalwart clock, now broken, began to chime its mournful dirge. Uriah smiled, surrendering to the fire's embrace. The world was consumed by fire and fury, but in the end all that lingered was the melancholic chime of a shattered clock. Before we finish this Tales from the Warp, please consider joining our Patreon and receive your monthly gifts. From artwork to full illustrated lore guides, every tier shall receive. Tales from the Warp will be patron-supported. If you like these tales, consider checking out the Audible books linked below. Let us now venture forth into the closing chapter. In the shadowed annals of antiquity, Many hold to the tale that the Emperor first graced the Red Sands of Mars upon the dawn of the Great Crusade. They whisper of that pivotal moment when he descended from the heavens, fulfilling his destiny, the divine embodiment of the Machine God, their prophesied savior. 
But these tales are but veils, obscuring older, deeper truths. Long before the forges of the Adeptus Mechanicus roared to life, before their banners of cog and skull rose from the barren expanse of Mars, the Emperor was already at work. He, in his ineffable wisdom and foresight, subtly wove the foundational tenets upon which the Mechanicum faith would stand. These ancient truths, shrouded in mythos and wrapped in enigmatic symbols, elude even the most devout. But the core of the story, the essence hidden beneath layers of dogma and doctrine, hints at a stratagem of such intricate design, such cunning, and such masterful deceit that it threatens to shatter the very foundations of the Imperium if laid bare. Laying at the very core of the Imperium was the beating heart of secular rationalism. Yet, the Emperor's clandestine sojourns on the rusted plains of Mars spun tales so intricate, they birthed an entire creed, where he stood not as a mere mortal, but a deity incarnate. And as he now sits upon the golden throne, more god than man, it forces one to probe the dark recesses of thought, what lay beneath the veneer of his proclaimed intentions. Alas, much like ancient myths lost to the sands of time, the essence of the Emperor remains ensnared in the snares of propaganda and cries of heresy. The remnants of his genuine musings are as scattered and rare as stars in the void, their veracity perpetually under scrutiny. For in the grim dark cosmos of the far future, truth often falls prey to the machinations of the Imperium and its faceless custodians. Yet, by peering intently at the echoes of his deeds, we may glean a semblance of the truth from the aftershocks they birthed. In the somber annals of the cosmos, whispered between the voids of the stars, an ancient legend unfolds. It's a saga so drenched in allegory, it's hard to discern myth from reality. The tale tells of the Emperor, humanity's undying sentinel, clashing against a cosmic entity known as the Void Dragon. This primordial force, a vestige of a godlike race that dissolved into nothingness ages before the whispering tales of the warp took form, tested the mettle of the Emperor. In a battle that defies comprehension, it's told that the Emperor didn't just defeat this eldritch abomination. He ensnared a fragment of its very essence, chaining it deep within the iron bowels of Mars, in the enigmatic catacombs of the Noctis Labyrinth. From this captured shard of malevolent consciousness, an eerie resonance spread across the crimson planet. It was a psychic undercurrent, weaving through the minds and machines, sowing the seeds of the machine cult, which would inevitably bloom into the omnipotent Mechanicum, the very hand the God Emperor required to shape his vast dominion. As the legend goes, it birthed the belief in the Omnissiah, portraying the Emperor not just as a monarch, but as the living vessel of the machine god. Yet there lingers a perilous undertone, the whisperers in the dark corridors of the Imperium murmur of dire consequences, if this tale were ever unfurled in its entirety. The Mechanicus might denounce their undying lord as a charlatan, and the great Imperium, that bastion of mankind's hope, 
might crumble into an age of shadow, sundered by an internal cataclysm that could dwarf any known war. For a new religion to blossom, all others must be purged. In the shadowed gasping breaths of the 41st millennium, humanity clings with fervent zeal to the worship of the God Emperor. If whispers of truths were to arise, would they be smothered as vile heresy? As the insidious tendrils of chaos trying to twist the faithful? Or would some, perhaps with a glint of understanding in their eyes, perceive it as the Emperor's grand tapestry, every thread woven with care to safeguard humanity? Many amongst the ranks of the Mechanicus, whether in hushed reverence or bold defiance, do not prostrate before the God Emperor as their true Omnissiah. In the arcane depths of their forges, they hold on to ancient creeds of reason and enlightenment, unfettered by religious shackles. Would revelations sway such hearts, or have they long suspected? Yet a chilling question lingers in the void. Did the Emperor, in all his vast wisdom and foresight, truly grasp the abyss he would carve into the very souls of mankind? Was he aware that he would stand as the beacon, in that darkness, as the lone priest once dared to utter? Or was he a cornered, desperate entity, blessed or cursed with an all-seeing eye, who took a gamble against the vastness of the cosmos, and was met with cruel defeat? To be continued. Did you like the graphic novel-style unofficial lore book to these tales? Check out Patreon and become a member for full graphic novels with text as seen on screen now. Thank you.